the Almeida Theatre podcast. Today's podcast is with Tobias Menzies, an actor who I first worked with uh, in the mid-90s at the Gate Theatre when he was just out of drama school. Since that time, I think he may be the actor I worked with most throughout my career. Uh, among other things, we've done uh, new plays. He played Hamlet for me at Northampton when I was artistic director there. Uh, we've done King Lear together. And most recently, at the Almeida, we did a production of The Hunt last year. He's always engaging to talk to and one of the deepest thinkers I know about acting and theatre. And so I was able to catch up with him uh, earlier today uh, from his home while he was in lockdown. Tobias, how are you? Rupert, Rupert, I'm good. Yeah. How are you finding lockdown? Um, I think maybe slightly worryingly, I'm sort of doing fine, sometimes quite enjoying it. Um, But it is a, a strange fugue state. Sometimes my, um, I mean, sort of reading quite a bit, but no, I, not, <laughs> not quite. Sometimes quite lazy. Um, I'm, only, I'm only, I'm only achieving a sort of handful of things a day. Um, but mm. anyway, listen. Thank you so much for for doing this and being part of uh, these lockdown podcasts we're doing. We're trying to remember, in a way, and share and celebrate what it is that we kind of love about the art form and theatre. And and I just. What I'm asking people is um, whether they could pick a show that they feel a great love for in their memory. It can be recent, it can be far back, because it kind of was inspiring to them for whatever reason and, 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 and why that was. And it doesn't have to be the best show you ever saw, but just something that, that now we are not going to the theatre, not making theatre, kind of what, what it is that kind of you look back on with, with real fondness. That's a hard question to answer because I feel that there's quite a lot for me my love affair with theatre started with, and I think it's, I might be quite, quite a few of us in our generation that this is true for, is Street of Crocodiles mm. by Complicite, which I, I saw in the Cottesloe as it was then, now the Dorfman at the National. Um, I feel like the year was like 92, something like that, 91. Mm. And it starts with this figure well, something, it becomes clear, there's, there's a man walking down the back wall of the theatre. So yeah. in a way, you're just looking like fr- looking at his head, top of his head. And yeah. it takes you a few seconds to work out what you're looking how at. How are they doing that? Yeah. Yeah, how are they doing that? The kind of magic of that. But then, yes, it was, it opened so many doors in my head about what was, what was possible with theatre, the kind of skill scope of it the visual audacity of it the energy of it it was profoundly un-English I think thinking back I mean obviously they were bringing a very European theatre culture into the national and that felt like I had never seen anything quite like it Mm -hmm. Um, it was profoundly visual it included movement and song and spoken word and and I was a yeah a sort of late teenager and it sort of blew my mind and so I, yeah if I had to name one show which was started me off on my journey it would have would have to be that piece of work yeah yeah I think I saw that twice I think I saw it in Cambridge Arts Theatre when I was a student and then at the Young Vic and it was yeah. I mean, I remember it with being 
just sort of opened up imaginative possibilities that I just mm. had never seen in theatre before. And, but it was it was funny. And another show that made a big impact on me um, around that period was um, Seven Streams of the River Ota, the Rip mm-hmm. Robert Lepage show, which I saw, I think, two days before we went onto lockdown for the first time in 20 years. And it made me think a bit about those shows from the past and whether they... Like, how do you think you'd feel about that show if you saw it now? It's a really good question. Uh, my fear is that I would be much less open to it now. I have now gone on a journey of my own into this world and into the craft of acting and making shows. And, and not, not necessarily in a negative way, but of course that the more you do it, the more you work, the more... I suppose that kind of crowds into your vision when you're looking at other people's work. And sometimes that can be very liberating and you can sort of commune at a very deep level with a piece of work, but sometimes it can get in the way. So I don't know. It might, the the idea of how theatre dates is much less easy to quantify, isn't it? Than say film, because you can go back and you watch it and you go, Oh God, that's aged really well or it hasn't aged well. Whereas obviously, theatre luckily for theatre in a way it's the 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 record is in in all our in our memories uh yeah. and which are often quite um <laughs> quite kind yeah. um yeah and bound up with how old we were and, and what we were doing yes so, yeah so let, let's talk a bit about i mean i'm lucky enough to have known you as an actor for a very long time yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so i guess you were just out of drama school till now and um yeah the first my first professional play i did with you where the gate? I don't know how that was. Yeah, that was the first one. Yeah. Um, so, so just jumping kind of to now, as it were, mm. um, as an actor now, having done lots of different things on the screen, on the stage, like, what is it that makes you choose to do something? Because I know you think kind of deeply about these things. Like, when you get to off, I mean, outside the normal material yeah. <laughs> necessary <laughs> thing, like particularly in, in relation to theatre, but but maybe into mm. in relation to anything. What what is it that about a role or a project that makes you most likely to jump? It tends to be, I think, a mixture of, for sure, the material, but then who you're going to try and realise that material with is also a very close second. Um, in terms of what the room will be like, how much, how much sort of creative conversation will we be able to have in the realising of it? Um, I think that the the space that we'll do it in also, I think, feeds into that decision. You know, you run the Almeida Theatre mm-hmm. and that's a really beautiful space to play. It really is. Uh, and, and that seems to me that's what's uh, exciting about theatre is the kind of everyone in the same room quality of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is informed by what the theatre is. Just going going to the to the people side of it. I mean, mm. I guess very crudely that might be broken up into um, the writer, the director, the other actors. Mm. Like like what things kind of get you excited? Because one of the things that's always intrigued me about you is how you have this this wonderful capacity for wanting to go towards that which you don't know or that which you know feels strange or, or, or people who are doing something you're curious about and you haven't quite right. kind of unlocked. Can you sort of say anything about the kind of writing or kind of other other actors that you like to sort of sense that excitement about kind of coming to work with? <laughs> it's interesting. When I, when I was thinking about doing this 
with you over the last couple of days. No, I'm going to be talking with you. Um, I think I'm genuinely uh, more nervous about doing this than I've been for like doing a performance <laughs> for a long time. And it's partly because I think when I was younger, I had, I think, much readier, um, tidier answers to these sort mm. of questions about what theatre I liked and what, what was acting and what was good mm. acting. And and I realised, thinking over the last couple of days, that those, um, those answers are much hazier to me now. Um, mm. And and I, I suspect, actually, in a good way, probably, that mm-hmm. um, as I've gotten on into my work, the desire to let the kind of unconscious, the subconscious, the irrational, the sort of slightly unknown flood into the work and into uh, one's thinking about it uh, is increasingly important to me. So. I mean, you know this from my work, I I sort of am also very bookish about it and want to do all the kind of forensic kind of digging around and, but um, I suppose I've always been wary that I don't want, as I get more, as I get better at my craft, I don't want to be too in control. I think that's often a sort of a balance that you need, you need the control and the skill and the craft. Yeah. But you also have to, there has to be elements of it that you don't control and you don't know quite why it's happening like that. Because that's, for me, what makes great acting and great performance. Yeah. Um, if it's too regimented. Uh, and also, conversely, if it's too wild and un, unstructured. Yeah. Um, so I guess, going back into your question, yeah, I, looking for a, a bit of a combination of those qualities that there's going to be intellectual rigor and kind of um, investigation and um, some muscle in the kind of brain side of it. And then we're going to really going to sort of um, put the the text, the material to the test. Um, you know me, I like to, I like to cut stuff out and <laughs> mm. <laughs> sort of push stuff around that so we'll do that work, but there also is going to be space for, um, the unexpected, the, the that's coming from you know that starts with the body, which starts with the breath, which starts with the yeah the the non-rational. Yeah, interesting. Because you, I mean, when I think back, even when you were really young, I mean, you, you had didn't you train as a dancer a bit? Didn't you? or did you do a lot of dance as a teenager? Well, I <laughs> the, the the I was watching a lot of contemporary dance so before I went to RADA and. Uh, when I was sort of going to see a lot of stuff. And for a while, I thought, I think I want to be a dancer. And I did actually apply as a dance, a modern dance school um, called the Laban Dance School mm. in uh, South London. And um, I went and auditioned there. <laughs> and they, <laughs> and uh, and I was had really done very little dance. I was I was untrained. I was uh, I had done no ballet, no you know I didn't. I, for some reason, and this maybe tells you the sort of the slightly more innocent world of the early '90s, but um, they offered me a place, and they said, "Listen, you're going to be way behind other people in the course in these regards, you know, in terms of your sort of ballet technique and stuff." So, so. But um, we think you've got something, and um, we're offering you a place. Um, mm-hmm. I, for various reasons I won't bore you with, I never ended up taking that up. But mm-hmm. um, yes, it was definitely 
you know, movement and and how the body moves has always been interesting in, of interest to me. You know, from and you know, I mean, we're both very passionate about Pina Bausch, and that definitely is where sort of performance and movement and something more choreographic kind of starts to bleed and and meet. When I think back to you then, I mean, you had the dance, you had all the tennis you were playing. You were very, um, you weren't a dualist actor. You know, you, you were doing a lot of like you say, sort of intellectual rig- rigorous stuff, but also very physical. I, I guess what I've noticed in you as you've got older, though, is that interest in that sort of, yeah, that sort of almost um, more unconscious, at times darker, I suppose, sort of um, self-discovery um, and how, you know, one of the things I really admire about you is that you want a very honest creative space where people can be very honest to you and will say when they disagree and that you can, you know, in a, in a respectful way, but be very honest to them as well. And, you know, it's not a very English way of working in some ways, but do you feel like wanting to cut to the chase about who we really are and what's at the heart of us is something that you increasingly become focused on? Yes. Uh, I mean, I find that very exciting to be around and be in. So, great support and safety and love but mm. <laughs> high levels of honesty hopefully and I think that's mm. where the interesting stuff is I think my relationship with theatre has always been quite existential in a way I, I've never really gone to the theatre to be entertained I mean even as a young person going mm. I think it was really important to me it was kind of I was going to the temple I was going to find out like about life like how do you live and I found it a place where you could go and watch people living in different ways and, and this may be absurd or naive and very young but I, it's sort of quite serious to me it's sort of a bit <laughs> life and death um, that's how I feel about I it know. it feels that kind of important <laughs> and um, and yes <laughs> yeah and um, and now and now it's and now it's not there so let's let's just talk about um the sort of more um bookish or like preparatory work and mm. so when you and also because you've done a lot of screen work recently where um you know we, you don't have the length of rehearsal periods and the you know you're often more often than not left on your own to do a lot of the the, the preparatory work yeah and obviously you've just come off doing Philip on the Crown and, and you know, there you've got a very a huge amount of research you can do and, and a real person you're basing it on. Like yeah. where do you where do you begin like for preparation and, and that work? Um I think there's no fixed rule, to be honest. I mean really depends on the material, the the sort of tone or texture of what you're trying to create. I mean the yes, the most recent is Philip and that was a hugely technical challenge and that's definitely where I started and so a lot of my energy initially went into the vocals um drowning myself just listening to him listening to him listening to him because I definitely wanted it not to be an accent and that's obviously the challenge is if you're doing something which is not yours of there's a it's mechanical, so the more you can just get it into your muscles almost, so that in a way then when you come to do it, you kind of forget about that. So that was just like hours at the at the coalface of, of mm-hmm. you know, we had help, technical help in terms of a, a voice coaches who 
could break it down and tell you like which particular sounds really kind of um ground you into that that his voice um movement stuff as well i mean it's the first time i've really played a real person who is alive and who is so well known so it was both uh, you know a, a bit nerve-wracking and also very exciting to try and get really close but it was also a balancing act to be done which is that it couldn't be an act of mimicry you know it, because that i think to watch that for 12 for 10 hours of tv would be quite a uh, grating i think so yeah. it has to be close and feel like them and sound like them but then also relaxed enough and watchable enough that you can then just go into through them into the story um and, and uh, how does that compare to doing astrov or something preparing for that in uncle Vanya? i mean i think fundamentally my process also does i don't treat screen and theater hugely differently you know people talk about it being a very different type of acting I, i'm not sure i always agree i think there's a you know 99% of it is the same stuff, really. Then it's just about where the sort of knobs are set, you know, in terms of, yeah, the way you're kind of pitching it in a way. Um, because, you know, with Philip, I was also was digging, you know, reading the biographies and trying to get a sense of who who is this man? What, you know, what makes him tick? What are he, you know, what might be the kind of formative experiences of his life? And, Similarly, with someone like Astrov in Uncle Vanya, you're doing the same work. You're trying to get a, a bedrock of stuff, as much detail as you can get, so that maybe when you come to make decisions on the sort of granular decisions of lines of how you're going to play that moment with that person, if you've done enough sort of digging around, you give yourself more options. You kind of go, well, maybe it's this maybe it's the opposite of what the lion is saying you know is there something so i feel like the more yeah more of that kind of background stuff you can give yourself the more tools you maybe have at your disposal when the work starts to to quicken up towards the end and you're kind of making those kind of um fine motor decisions which mm -hmm. often are sort of the grace notes that can really sing with a performance so, so I mean, you touched on it earlier, but when you, I mean, uh, obviously we joke about it, but when you when you're approaching a text and you, you know how much you love a cut and yeah. uh, <laughs> you're, you're unusual in actors, in, in the less you say, the more you enjoy it. Um, talk a bit about that and sort of what's going on there for you. Yeah, it's interesting. I've always done it. I mean, mm. I mean, I hope in a good way, in a sort of dramaturgical way, wanted to kind of stress test material but i mean i look back uh sometimes i've done it and i'm you know i was just i guess young and naive and i just sort of got away with it <laughs> and no one told me to shut up you know so yeah early on doing big hbo show rome hmm. and looking back i was so young and it was this huge thing and i was you know really fearlessly kind of rocking up in the showrunner's office wanting to talk these scenes through, ask questions, what about, you know, could we get, you know, I don't think I need that. <laughs> mm. uh, and then I look back and it's sort of a bit, a bit comic, but just go back a tiny bit. The mm. thing that I get most excited about, what I'm always striving towards 
in acting in a very basic way is high levels of believability. So when I can't see the acting is when it gets a bit magic. Mm -hmm. So you, you, it's just a person and you are, you know, you're understanding how they're feeling and you're, you know, their words sort of guide you through what they're thinking. And yet there seems to be no kind of artifice. And so I'm, you know, I'm often striving to, to do that myself in my work. Sometimes, you know, certain more expositional <clears throat> writing stuff that is obviously serving the mechanics of the piece, it makes the actor's job a lot harder in those moments. So, and of course, sometimes it's necessary, but there are times when I suppose I believe that you can communicate that moment physically, non-verbally, that you'll be able to take that audience through that moment, will get it without us having to say it. And that will help towards a higher level of sort of verisimilitude of it just being, oh yeah, they really are these people. Um, but you are very unusual that way. I mean, it's sort of... Uh... I was thinking about shows we've done and how you know, no normally a player is a bit like a car and the actor gets in and they work, they sort of work out where the gears are and whether they can reverse or how they turn the radio on. And, but, you know, they may say... But they don't, but they don't look to tr change the car. <laughs> yeah, but whereas you take it all apart, work out whether it could be a bicycle. <laughs> um, yeah, I know, uh, yeah. Uh, but but it's, a, it's a brilliant... Um, you know, I wish, wish more actors were... Do you mean that as a? I mean, because it yeah, no, must I mean, also be a pain in the hole at times as a as a director when you do don't. That's not what you want to be doing. I mean, you need the time. I mean, <clears> it's <throat> not something to do when you've only got an afternoon to get a scene done. But yeah, I, I think ultimately the <clears throat> the be the beetle like way that you turn everything upside down and and look at it and throw mm. stuff overboard that isn't necessary is is um. I just think you interrogate every beat with unbelievable sort of. Uh, rigor and and i feel like the, the the nub of that comes from a sort of relaxation about being in the room and being brave enough to allow, ask to do that i guess like you say going to the showrunner's office and saying can i talk to you about this can, can mm. we ring this scene for its maximum potential storytelling value to the character but also to the project and i'm sort of i was interested about have you always had that confidence Hmm. Um, and, if, and if so, where's in, it from? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I have always had it in relation to my work. I, I don't really necessarily have it in other bits of my life, but I do have it here. And I'm not, I suppose I'm not entirely sure where it comes from, really. Um, I, I think it, it does partly go back a bit to how important it is to me. Mm -hmm. Um that in a way slightly less uh, not entirely english kind of attitude to to performance to theater to what it is you know you know my early influences were i feel like not particularly english um mm -hmm. you know um because i mean I, I mean strange stuff like i remember going and i was really young i don't know what age i was but there was a a screening of at the Battersea Art Centre of, of Tadush Kanter's Dead Class, which is like one of the sort of seminal kind of European uh, mm. pieces of theatre that hugely influenced Complicite's work. And I think that's partly why I'd sort of gone and uh, tracked it down. Um, 
and in in that show there's a uh cantor the director is just like pacing up and down the side <laughs> of the stage kind of like conducting it and pointing people and looking at the audience and it <clears throat> and it was such um yeah so radical such a sort of again opening very unusual doors in my head about what what is performance and what are the possibilities and why does it have to be like this? And so it's definitely, I've definitely not come from the kind of um, the smell of the grease paint um, mm. kind of tradition of it. Um, I've always been really excited by the much more avant-garde end of it. You know, it, it, going back to your original question about shows, you know, the the first time I saw the Worcester Group, again, another kind of huge leap in my kind of education about what, what a play could be, you know, this profoundly postmodern deconstruction of a Greek classic, uh, Greek, Greek text, um, just in some level madness, but absolutely thrilling. Um, when you, so, when you think of, with that image of Cantor and mm. uh, the director kind of marching around the stage, I mean, how, because I know how important sort of create a creative life is for you and, and culture in general in your life how um have you ever wanted to direct or or, or write like uh direct for make? sure yeah i feel <clears throat> uh, writing less so but certainly directing yeah um and why do you think you haven't <laughs> do you, do you the honest answer is <laughs> say again <laughs> Back <laughs> <on>. <laughs> no, no, the, it's um, it's a certain grandiosity in me, actually. I think because what I think I have in me is a really big show, but I always feel like I would have to start doing a play <laughs> above a uh, above a pub, and I have had no interest or no interest. I don't know what that is. What I could do is, um, you know. Um, the Olivier, I, the Olivier, or even like you know, um, <laughs> I don't know, the uh, the uh, along Chabon. the uh, along the uh, the Chabon along the Thames, you know, kind of some huge sort of hangar somewhere. Um, mm. Like if I was going to make work, it would be in the end of kind of dance into theatre, mm -hmm. visual theatre. Uh, you know, again, I, just recently I've been. I've got, I mean, I mean, that sounds like an absolute loop, but I've um, been watching the work, some work of uh, Herman Nitsch. Do you know his stuff? He's this uh, Austrian uh, actionist. And so it's like theatre as sort of religious events. Yeah. I mean, I've never been so excited. I mean, it's absurd, but it's incredible <laughs> stuff. And that's sort of, you know, he does that on a farm, you know, and stuff. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so the reason I haven't directed is because I need a farm, I think. Right. Okay. <laughs> we'll look into that. So, so, so coming back to, to, to the acting. Um, mm. So the other thing that I'm really intrigued by with you is that you have you hold this, um, you know, breaking it all apart, sort of seeing how it all works. Quite um, almost like you're ske sketching or sort of not really plunging in in the rehearsal room. You know, maybe a run through or two, but it's sort of energy conservation and also not allowing the sort of stress and tension of doing it to interrupt the investigative work. Um, but then when you get to performance, you really prepare on the day. And, you know, I'm particularly thinking of when we did King Lear, but also The Hunt recently. I mean, mm. what is that? What's, what's, the, what's the, the show day preparation for you? 
It's interesting you say that about um, like the the sort of how I am in the rehearsal room because I, in some ways, I find that I'm not sure I'm entirely aware that that's what I'm doing actually. That I'm mm -hmm. sort of slightly off the pedal. Mm -hmm. I mean, on a very basic level, just to answer that bit of it, <laughs> I, I do at some level have like a low embarrassment threshold, mm. and so which is something that completely burns off when you're in the actual theatre and the lights go down and the whole, the whole thing is happening. That's not embarrassing. But there are times just in like at two o'clock on a sort of Wednesday afternoon and the sun's beaming in and you know, it's all just quite sort of bald and exposed in a way to... And I think I have a high level of kind of internal critic so that the sort of the ability to sort of go there and really do it as well as I want it to be mm. is sometimes hard and um you're tired and it's sort of, you know and mm. so yeah I think I'm sort of negotiating my own kind of um whatever that is I, yeah. and then also kind of wanting to not wanting to sort of dent one's confidence with it you know you're kind of yeah. building it up trying to sort of get enough in there so that because you if you really go for it, it's fucking terrible. That's also hard to like then <laughs> recover from. So there's an element of that, I think. But if you're running too fast, then maybe you trip. And, you know, I always remember when we were doing King Lear, uh, we did like Pete Postlethwaite and him saying, he's a good actor, he's a good actor to bias, but he just needs to go for it. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. And, and I'm, of course, yeah. playing Edgar and it was, a, it was a kind of crazy part. But yeah. um, I could feel like almost a sort of DNA clash of Pete who sort of, you know, just goes at it. See what yes. Yeah. yes. Hit me. You know, don't yes. cry off anything. Just follow me up the hill. And you're more um, mm. patient building block kind of uh, way of working. I mean, I actually thought it was a great, a great contrast in the show. But um, but I do yeah. I understand it. I understand the desire. Um, yes. But does so that, that does that the... get does that get in the way of other people's sort of work if it's if I I'm kind it's... of shielding in that way, or no, I don't know. No, I don't think so. I think yeah. I think it's up to them to yeah. If, if if they need heat back, they have to ask for it. You know, yeah, and, and and you'll bring it. I know you will. Um... I mean, for me, something does happen in the kind of crucible of real performance, yeah. which it's very hard to replicate. And yeah. I, there are things that happen in live performance that I haven't planned and I don't entirely, there, there, there's sort of a, a good percentage that is added when there's an actual audience there and it's actually happening. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. that's an amazing thing that does happen. It's alchemical and it's, it's a bit, yeah, that is the magic, little magic bit of it. What if it doesn't happen this time, you know, because you do need that extra little. Yeah. yeah. And, and so what about the preparation on the day? I mean, you kind of, you know, in the, in the hour or so, the runway up to the show. Like, what does that look like for you? I will physically go through quite a lot of the text. Mm -hmm. And that's partly... I think as you as you get... A, I mean, as you get older, I have a, a little more fear about um, memory stuff. Mm -hmm. And so as a sort of absolute uh, sort of bulwark against that and it actually started when i did the the uh, the, the hotel show i did the yeah. fever yeah. 
so uh, and because of the nature of that you know an hour and 45 straight through just me um i would run the play with the stage manager before the show every single word and that actually has sort of not not maybe not the whole show but that has bled into my preparation since then um and what i like about that is that i can totally kind of calm that bit of my brain and you know a lot of it is to do with just getting levels of relaxation so that when you're up there you can be you know as in the moment as possible and sort of really kind of surf it and um yeah sort of like you've got it's all there for you and, and so once you've done that before the show if you're in the wings but in the middle of the show are you still doing that or have, have you do you leave to trust that you did it before no no done that i mean with the take the hunt for example I, I i had to kind of slightly detach myself from the kind of the world under you know backstage everyone chatting and catching up and stuff i can't i can't Increasingly, I can't be massively social for the sort of hour or so beforehand. And especially with that show, I think I had to sort of drop down into something. Um, and I use music a lot to do that. Um, so what do you do? So you just, you find a so I'll often just find a corner. And it, often it was underneath the stage. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and I'll either sit or just lie on my back and listen to stuff. Mm -hmm. And... And visualize, know, meditate, or it's hard to describe. Really, I, I felt like really a lot of it's about just kind of opening up one's kind of heart and one's emotions and getting kind of softened up. Really, you know, especially for that show, it was such a kind of seeing this kind of this man sort of absorb a lot of suffering in a way. Mm -hmm. and I, I sort of wanted that to be incredibly unforced mm -hmm. so that it wasn't coming out of kind of rage and anger and sort of um, uh, like um, physical tension mm -hmm. The events is I wanted them just to sort of pass through me and change me and sort of bruise me and soften me and pulpate me as it were, but and to be kind of in sort of transfigured by the kind of Greekness of this sort of journey, this sort of mm -hmm. suffering. Mm -hmm. And so I had to be emotionally quite available to do that. Um and are you doing similar sort of work on set when you're doing screen work? Uh, yes, I'll often use music if it's sort of a, a more emotional material or there's a more emotional thing to be kind of landed. I mean, one of the good things about getting older is, you know, uh, uh, emotions are easier to come by. I mean, I, I cry a lot more now than I ever did when I was young. It's a, maybe an easy thing to say, but... Uh, I'm a better actor now because uh, <clears throat> I've just lived more and I've suffered more, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, experienced more heartbreak and, and discomfort mm -hmm. and pain and uh, making the wrong decision and, you know, all, all those things which I think make one um, humbler, 
mm. have higher levels of you know em empathetic empathetic kind of love really for the human condition and that's for me why I go and see theatre and why I make theatre mm. is because we can sit there and experience someone's journey and kind of go mm. ah yeah so they did that and that's what happened and that's the cost of that mm -hmm. and we witness it and that's a, a you know a profoundly human activity mm -hmm. and that's what I love about it and and going way back to your earlier question is also something that feeds into maybe some of my choices I am drawn towards things that um, shed light on that kind of existential end of theatre you know what mm -hmm. what is life like what are we doing here what happens you know what, what are we doing and what are the what is the cost of what we do and so, so when I uh, take a scene like that amazing scene, the Abafan funeral scene in, in the mm. Crown, where I don't think you had any text in that scene, did you? But it, there you no. are as Prince Philip witnessing the burial of all these uh, children in the in the, uh, um, the mining sort of disaster. Mm. Um, yeah, deeply emotional scene. You're keeping a lot of it in, you know. I, um, yeah. What, what what are you sort of doing in a scene like that? Are you is are you are you trusting that you've got Philip and being Tobias giving yourself to the imagination of of that scene, or are you is the technique button still kind of pressed? Or um, um, I think you've got. I mean, so often with acting, there's actually more than one plate spinning. So there's always a kind of technical thing is running. Mm -hmm. Say with Philip, there were always little kind of. Um, little kind of uh, triggers physically that I would always kind of little checklist of things that I would do mm -hmm. that I knew were kind of um, the differences between, you know, how he stood and how I tend to stand. And so I would always be sort of going through those anyway, before a take. Um, in that example, it was actually pretty easy because they had, um, they were singing this incredibly beautiful Welsh song and they were singing it in the takes. Mm -hmm. And actually the, the, I mean, what sometimes what's the amazing thing about filming is that, you know, you have the visual really in front of you. And so they had this long trench full of these um, unbearably short um, mm. coffins, so children sized coffins. Um, so, and then, yes, I mean, with that character, you know, again, this is sort of a, a bit of a mixture of the emotion and the technique in that, you know, he is someone who actually there is quite a lot of emotion in him when I listen to him or speak to him. He's quite hot in a way, but there's huge amounts of kind of suppression and armoring. Um, and so you're sort of toggling through those different kind of wavelengths with that character of sort of how much is being let out. He definitely doesn't want to show emotion. Um, and that's often <laughs> the more moving or heartbreaking thing to witness, actually someone kind of struggling with their emotions rather than kind of letting them out. Um, but then uh, <laughs> to slightly also go to the other end of it uh there was a really cutting wind that day 
And so <laughs> whenever I kind of, even if I wasn't wanting to sort of, because I, I definitely didn't want to sort of necessarily be crying. Mm. Um, but my eyes were watering like a crazy thing because of this sort of mm. wind. So, <laughs> so you get like happenstance and yeah, use it. Yeah, that's a strange mixture of stuff. Yeah. So, so when you said that you thought you had got more emotional as you got older as an mm. actor, um, do you think you've lost anything at all? Or do you, do you miss when you look back on, I don't know, when we did Hamlet or mm. things a long time ago, is there any part of the young, young actor Tobias that you look back on enviously at all? don't think I do. <laughs> I feel quite confident that I'm a lot better now than I was. <laughs> um, I mean, is that true? I, I mean, I... you were pretty good there. <laughs> <laughs> was I? <laughs> I mean, I, I think maybe That's it's inevitable that you always look back with, uh, I don't know how you feel about your early work, but I always, it, most of the time, maybe this is a shame, but cringe about it, but... How I, found, it actually, I, I, I found an old VHS of our Hamlet. Um, Did you? So I, I converted. I've actually got it here. And, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I, but I, I watched a chunk of it. And yeah. I was struck by how um, sort of mesmerizingly self-involved you were. Really? Uh, yeah, in, in a brilliant way. It was really mm. um, full of um, discovery, I suppose. Uh, you know, that kind of... Uh, innate curiosity and yeah. kind of ardor and i suppose that's true of youth isn't it over experience but yeah um, yeah uh you know I, I think the way you've evolved the attack of it really yeah i mean we were we were fearless with that i mean yeah and yeah. one never wants to lose that no. um no. Yeah. well let's just finish by if we can by mm. uh, just a little bit of love for our venue in terms of being in this in that space or working at the theater or I have so much love for that theatre and um, I've, you know, I've obviously worked there prior to your reign there and um, I actually had one of the scarier experiences of my uh, performative life there actually. I had a really huge dry um, when I was doing Cloud Nine there and for several years that kind of really kind of spooked me and I had to, had you know, had to work hard to kind of um come to come to terms with that but um so i've had a variety of experiences in that room but i mean theater at its very essence is a room which people come together in and at its best uh experience something together they commune in some way um in a way that's quite hard to kind of define but has I think genuinely kind of uh, transcendent qualities when it's when it's good, and and so the kind of that's where the bricks and mortar can impact on that thing happening, that magic happening, and you know the Almeida is definitely one of those places, um, and it's something to do with the aesthetic of it. It's very beautiful, you know that incredible brick wall at the back has i don't know there's something incredibly kind of nourishing about the feel and the look of it uh the intimacy of obviously i think contributes hugely to what the particularity of what the almeida is um as a performer 
the audience feel very close and as an audience the performers feel very close and so that is fundamental to the sort of I would say to the work that is made there and what is you know what can be achieved in that room uh, I feel like there's a kind of um, a fleet-footedness about the the work that's done there the theatre culture that you've created there um, it's both um, uh, unapologetically kind of rigorous and intellectual and searching but also um, feels pretty egalitarian and like everyone is you know welcome and it's a it's a family and a, a home for a lot of artists I mean god you realize what what all that what what all that the value of all that at a time when you know we're not able to get in those rooms at the moment well thank you tobe that was really great thank uh, it's lovely to chat to you Um, thank you for listening to the almeida theater podcast recently we've had to take the very difficult decision to temporarily close the almeida as you can imagine this has had a profound financial impact on us as a charity And right now, every penny counts for us. If you are able to support us during this time, any donation, large or small, will make a huge difference. Take care, and I look forward to seeing you at the Almeida soon. Thank you for listening to the Almeida Theatre Podcast. For more, head to almeida.co.uk forward slash explore.